0: What's up, everyone? Welcome to episode 62 of the Noise Podcast, brought to you by Nose.co.uk and sponsored by Stereo Brain Records. I am your host slash your boy, Chris Pugh, and I'm joined, as ever, by my very good friend and Mr. Cynical himself, Samuel Lewis. Mate, how are you? And how beautiful is our new logo?
1: (laughs) It's the best thing that's happened to me today, just seeing it. It is just gorgeous, isn't it? I am very well, my friend.
0: It really, really is, man. man, I mean fantastic i put a tweet and a facebook post earlier to say like this is the first part of our like expansion moving forward um here's this brand new logo for the channel and that just to give a bit more detail and that means some have kind of mentioned it before we are going to start videoing the podcast as soon as legally possible we also have some extra ideas that we're going to put into the show as well but just as a start off brand new logo uh, and a massive thank you to jake warrellow at goldstep design for putting it together who was excellent to work with and unbelievably cheap i think he would agree sam for the quality of what he's put out and he's given us loads of absolutely. different versions of it as well so there's loads of stuff i could do with it i could not recommend uh, jake and goldstep design enough
1: absolutely it's a wonderful job incredibly easy to work with really receptive um very good with us depending on like our sort of requirements and that conversation you know it was it was a smooth process and he's done a fantastic job
0: we are a fortnightly rock and metal podcast available wherever you listen to podcasts if you are on youtube or apple podcasts please give us a subscription uh, and like the video if you're on any other platform whichever platform you're listening to us on whether that's spotify or uh, Stitcher whichever it is uh, give us a follow that's the best way to help us out subscribing or following depending on whichever service you're using on our last episode uh, we discussed the news uh, there were some highlights from our time with the music writers experience and we did album reviews on the day to remember your welcome and distance dusk of anguish ep there was also a chris meets feature with stampede press executive rob town on this week's episode We're going to go through the news. Album reviews this time come from Evanescence and Devil Sold His Soul. And there's a really, really great Chris Meats feature with myself and Lucas Woodland, vocalist of Holding Absence, a band that me and Sam have championed for quite some time now. And it was really, really cool to catch up with Lucas. Um, Former member of Holding Absence, James Joseph the then bassist he featured on like a, a, a eighth episode uh, so to kind of come full circle when they're releasing a new album two years later it was really cool and lucas is a really really good guy and that chat was um was really really interesting so make sure you stick around at the end of the show for that sam i think with the amount of stuff we've got to go over it's best if we roll straight into the news we're going to start sam with Sion the blade for those who aren't familiar, uh, Scion is the collaboration between former Killswitch Engage vocalist, Howard Jones, and YouTube slash social media in general, Sensation, Jared Dines. And um, Sam, we actually spoke about this on the previous episode of the Noise podcast, where we had to cut the discussion because of timing constraints. But we, we were kind of discussing at that point what we would want from this. And we kind of come to the agreement that, hey, if this is Killswitch Riffs, with herod jones on the choruses then i am all for it sam after the first song is this not everything you could have possibly wanted from this collab yeah it's jared dines with with kills Case choruses. That's exactly, yeah that's exactly that's exactly what it is um
1: um it, it's fantastic for what it is uh, i i i'm um, I'm just very, I'm very impressed. It's, it's, it's exactly what you would have wanted from this collaboration. It's great. It's a great piece of guitar work. It's got a massive chorus. Edward sounds great. Jared Dines' riffs sound fantastic. I mean, what more could you want?
0: It's a bit more gente in the verses than I expected. I know that Jared Dine's whole thing, like his whole persona, kind of revolves around making jokes about gent music and him, which he loves it. But I, I I thought that he would stick strictly to Killswitch riffs, but I kind of like that he didn't really. I mean, the chorus is absolutely Pete Killswitch. I mean, that is absolutely end of heartache, slash as Daylight Dies era Killswitch. But the verses, for me, aren't. And, and I thought that was really interesting, actually. Yeah,
1: I think, though, like the argument... For that would be well if he was just to do Killswitch tunes then just do Killswitch tunes with Killswitch yeah um, if, if you're if you, having Jared Dines obviously you want to incorporate a little bit of, of him into that and that's what makes that partnership differentiated from any Killswitch or any other Howard Jones stuff and I think it gives a bit of an individuality and I agree it's a nice chunky big big scoring metal song and it's if, if, if we can get an album of that sound absolutely
0: sound <laughs> I mean, you're absolutely bang on the money with with your description there, and there's not really a, a great deal more that we can discuss. Obviously, we don't really know a time frame of what comes next. Uh, whether it's gonna I, I haven't I can't remember whether they said it's going to be an EP or or a full album, or whether that information has even been announced actually at this point. But for what what were you needed from this specific moment from Sion is just excitement for what comes next. And Sam, I'm absolutely pumped. For whatever follows this,
1: completely agree, mate. I think this could be the the start of something where we actually welcome Howard Jones back into the regular metal world, of which he's been somewhat on a hiatus from for a little bit. Um, this is this has got potential to be something really good, and 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 not gimmicky. Like it felt like a real, it feels mm. like a real song. You know, it doesn't feel like a YouTube um, gimmick or something for TikTok or something like that where it's just for clicks and not actually serious. It does actually sound like a real project, which is reassuring. But to be fair, Howard Jones gave it legitimacy, and I I can't assume he would have jumped on board if it was just like a a collaboration on some Jared Dines video. Um, This feels feels, um, tangible, which
0: I think is good. I think you're absolutely right, man. I'm so, so buzzed for what comes next. I I think that if it's an EP or an album of this, me and you are going to be off our tits, mate. (laughs) <laughs> come the end of the year whenever it comes out me and you are going to be all over it man I'm really I'm really excited for it I agree I, I agree it's
1: a great thing to have him back and, and like we've been saying for years I wonder what who do what Jared would sound like in a band like let's put yeah. him in this circumstance that like she put his money where his mouth is yeah because he's an incredibly talented person and that's that's exactly what's taking place and I am excited to hear the rest of it
0: we are going to move on Sam to this year's Grammy well, Grammys. We're only going to speak about one of the Grammys. but uh, <laughs> The Grammy! This, this year's Grammy. <laughs> the 2021 Grammy. Well, it might as well only be for one fucking person. It seemed to revolve around the same bullshit every single year. But regardless, in terms of uh, Best Metal Performance, Sam, the Grammy was given to Body Count uh, with their song Bum Rush. Uh, nominees were In This Moment with their song The be In Between. Poppy's blood money, Pepper Trips executioner's tax taken from their live in Seattle show and Code Orange's underneath. Um, in terms of the Grammy winner, Sam, I don't want to spend too long on this. Uh, I, I know that Code Orange, you know, I think their time will eventually come. It's the second time they've missed out on winning the Grammy. They previously lost out to Mastodon in 2018. Fair enough. Um, I'm disappointed for Code Orange, but you know what, man? F- fucking good for ice tea. And body count ict he's got a Grammy that's you know what he's that's cool i'm you know good for him the Grammys don't represent us sam we've discussed that before
1: no no that no they don't um and the giving giving the icet the, the 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 Grammy for body count feels very much like a career achievement Grammy more than a um what was the best metal song of 2021 Grammy but let's not pretend that the Grammy awards are selection committee are sitting down listening to code orange underneath and poppy's blood money and as tax and actually really breaking it down and dividing do you, re- you know what i mean do you really yeah. think the grammys that are- do these people at whiteboard shouting each other the way that me and you discuss metallica albums like over oh, which which singles are better they're just oh should we give it to ice T? yeah sure he's been around for a while it you know it's good for the community blah 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 blah, 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 blah. and he just gets it i mean it's the grammys i it's it's isn't it just 15 awards given to beyonce for turning up yeah. The, yeah the award the grammy for being beyonce goes to beyonce and she pretends to be shocked uh, it's whatever like it good like, i agree i echo your sentiment good for Ice tea but if, if you know if if code orange wins 17 or never win one I, it, does, it does not make a difference and i, I, I assume right. as well least of all to code orange <laughs>
0: to yeah yeah you are right I, I think that even with me and you kind of mocking it and looking at the Grammys out the corner of our eye kind of thing there's there is still some prestige to being able to say Grammy recording artist
1: yeah it, do, it does have, it Slip, does have not
0: yeah I, but it's 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 to appeal to people that
1: aren't me and you though isn't it it's yeah, like, um, yeah it's to it's to impress people outside of their own business like if you were I don't know. If you're bringing out a Slipknot documentary on Netflix, then you'd say Grammy recording artist. If you were advertising a Slipknot tour to Slipknot fans, I don't think you'd mention it.
0: You re- that's a good point. Yeah, I agree, actually. In retrospect, you I know. think you're right there. Uh, there was something else that I wanted to discuss that was that had a bit more meat to it regarding the Grammy, Sam. Have you seen the fallout from their Eddie Van Hayden tribute? Oh no! I lack, or, the lack, Or lack thereof. I should say. I
1: know. I, I know that. I know that. Um, was it Wolfgang complained that it was short?
0: That's yeah. All I, that's all. That's all. That's all I know about it. Well, there was no mention of Eddie Van Halen during the "quote unquote" people we lost discussion at the start, which I can't believe. He was oh, Mr. Christ. Mystery. I mean, I don't know Christ. how they could in a, in a in a show where there was literally a fifteen second tribute to Eddie Van Halen. How could they possibly have missed out the? Make sure you mention Eddie Van Halen during the people we've lost discussion at the start. I don't understand how that how that happens outside of the fact of they don't care about. Not that I'm not saying they don't care about someone's died. What I mean is they do not give a shit about rock and metal. So such is their ignorance to us that they have forgotten to, to mention, Oh shit. By the way, you should Eddie Van Halen mention him. They've forgotten to do that. The same way as to play master of puppets as Dave, as Dave Mustaine was walking down the aisle to pick up Megadeth death grammar. Like they don't get it. They're so lost and so ignorant to us. Um, but just to, I've got a news story here that, that depicts uh, the goings on. And I think it would be better than me just um, shooting off my muslings. Um Wolfgang took to Twitter and wrote, what hurt the most was that he wasn't even mentioned when they talked about artists we lost in the beginning of the show. I know rock isn't the most popular drama right now. And the Academy does seem a bit out of touch. But I think it's impossible to ignore the legacy my father left on the instrument instrument, sorry, the world of rock and music in general. There will never be another innovator like him. Now, when they reached out to... Um, what's what's his name? Uh, ben Winston, who is an executive producer for the Grammys. Uh, ben Winston then said that actually he'd asked Wolfgang if he'd like to be part of the show and play Eruption, and that he'd offered a group of guitarists to play with him, uh, which Wolfgang turned down and basically said, well, no, I don't want to do that because only one person can play Eruption correctly. And that's That was my dad, so I don't really want to do that. And then what's happened instead is that there's been this 15 second tribute to one of the great guitarists of any time. Full stop. Sam, what are you? Given you are the massive Van Halen and specifically Eddie Van Halen fan, are you? Are you furious? Are you disappointed? Are you actually not surprised at all? What are your immediate thoughts here?
1: Well, I'm not. I'm not surprised that the Grammys created a way to say to Wolfgang, um, either you can do this in this incredibly obnoxious and virtue-signaling way, or we're not doing anything at all related to it. <laughs> that that <laughs> yeah. is that is that is that is completely unsurprising, um, because, because that is the the Grammys in the nutshell. In a nutshell this is a very uh this is such a self-centered, like. Um, obnoxious collection of, of of award givers that this is no this is no surprising thing that and, and i saw that no, they had bill burr who's like this cynical american comedian who wrote f is for family um they he they had him reading out like the latin orchestral awards and if you know anything about bill burr the combination of those two things is just astonishing so they, they've just got no feel for what's appropriate to what's even necessary um i understand wolfgang's feelings and I, I i assume that he was that he was hurt by it but
0: does it matter that's the thing like it does it does it matter so mm. see um, I was gonna bring this up to you would if they'd have done a one and a half minute video tribute would that have would yeah that have changed much
1: like it feels like getting annoyed for getting annoyed sake so he was invited on. He turned it down. He was there. There was a 15 second tribute at the big uh, during the show. And all right, they didn't mention him. They didn't mention him on the people we may have missed. But given that there was a 15 second tribute early on in the show, isn't that implied? Literally, like, do they have to mention that he died twice? I don't understand. Um, I don't. I don't see. I don't see why well, it's a big deal. I mean, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a massive Van Halen fan. I'm a massive Eddie Van Halen fan. Um, would Eddie Van Halen wanted to, to be, to, to have been remembered in this way? Um, not, absolutely not at all. He, he didn't give a shit about any of this stuff. Um, famously barely liked playing guitar at parts of, of, of his life. He, he, like he, this isn't the sort of thing that he actively enjoyed. Um, so to, to sort of, I'm not saying it's fake outrage, but I, I definitely think it's exaggerated outrage. At this circumstance, just feels unnecessary. Um, I respect. I respect him for saying no. I'm not going to play Eruption because my dad plays Eruption, and that's, that's that. That's that. That's the core. But I actually think that the symbolism of, of his kid playing it would have been nice. Um, but that's that's his decision. But the moment you decide that you don't want to be involved with it, and you leave it to them, and you know that they're the Grammys, and they don't know much about Van Halen or Eddie Van Halen. You don't then really have much of a right to criticize how they handle it if you don't actively want to be involved in it. Especially, like if he had turned around to the Grammys instead, I don't want to be involved in it, but can you just make sure that it's a tribute on the people we lost? that would have probably done that, you know. But he mm. said no, mm. and then the Grammys went, "All right, we'll do it how we want to do it," and then he's complaining about how they wanted to do it. I, it just, it just seems, it just seems outraged for outrage's sake, and. We've talked about this um, a lot recently in podcasts, and that, that feels like a trend in the alternative music award. This uh, this victim, or, this victim uh, mentality, seems to permeate through our genre. Um, we're never going to get the approval from the Grammys, and most of most people don't want it, even if they did. Including Eddie Van Halen, it, it it
0: does not matter at all. I think missing him from the people we lost section, is he, pretty much unforgivable. But I do, I do understand your point where, you, you know, obviously you know the, the backstory and history of Eddie Van Halen ostensibly more than me. So if this isn't the kind of thing that he would care for anyway, and they asked, would you like to do this? And Wolfgang said, no, I don't want to do this, then... Has he got much of a right to then criticise how they then portray their own tribute towards Eddie Van Halen? That's a good point. I do think they're missing him out from the people we lost section, though. I mean, man, I mean, that's just, that is is ignorance beyond forgiveness, that is. I just can't believe that. Even knowing that there's a 15 second tribute to him coming up in the show, they still managed to miss it out. I don't understand how that's possible. That's just so unbelievably ignorant. I I, I would find that absolutely like contempt, contemptible, and just completely unforgivable. But, mate, yeah, you, you, yeah. you make the same point there that me and you. We'll, we'll, we'll have, we will have a similar conversation this time next year about the Grammys if we all burnt to the ground, I'd be like, oh, thank fuck. We can, we can do a Grammy for best animated video. No, we haven't got to do a Grammy for best metal performance. We can do another one for something else because it's trending on TikTok. That's what, that's what it would be. They'd be buzzing. If we just all fired into, if we just all fired into Ash, maybe they'll bring fucking Thanos in and get Thanos (laughs) to fuck us all off. Um, but yeah, um, I, I, I think missing him out of the people we lost section is just absolutely unforgivable. But I, I was curious to see what your thoughts were on it as a massive Van Halen fan, which I am not.
1: Yeah, I I, I love Van Halen. Um, Eddie was a massive loss um, to the rock community and was an incredible musician. And that has not changed, regardless whether the Grammys said it or not. And the people that miss him most were not in attendance at the Grammys. And the people that feel his impact are not not referenced or mentioned by the Grammys. Um, if there was a, a real metal equivalent to the Grammys for alternative music, then Eddie Van Halen's face would have been plastered everywhere. Mm. In the same way that if um, Stevie Wonder died tomorrow, the next year's Grammys would would be a Stevie Wonder fest. And to be honest, let's be yeah. honest, rightly rightly so. Yeah. yeah. But because um, incredible artist, um, but. He is in one sphere of culture and Eddie Van Hyland belongs to another. Eddie Van Hyland is ours and we give him a tribute and we remember him um, because I don't care for platitudes of people that have don't listen to Van Hyland <laughs> or wouldn't mm. have bought a Van Hyland album or seen a Van Hyland show in the, in the same way that when David Bowie got given a um, posthumous Grammy um, for Black Star, and it was it, it, Do you know what I mean? It just it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter why we're chasing the approval of this vacuous, self-centered industry that clearly doesn't have any interest in us. it just it doesn't it doesn't matter at all. Han was a genius regardless of whether the Grammys give it him or not. It's 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 a it's a stupid thing that they left him off the tribute, and it and it just should highlight. The, the involvement should just be cut here, It should absolutely cut here. Metal if, if metal people are, if people are nominated for Grammys in metal bands, they should not go. If you don't want to be involved, don't be involved. Like just separate, cut the cord. What's the benefit?
0: You know what, Sam? When the golden gods from Metal Hammer can return, that's where you'll get your Eddie Van Halen tribute. Yeah, and, and rightly so, and rightly so gonna close off the news Sam I wondered how long it would take till Metallica came back in <laughs> into discussion. I think it's probably a two. To though this is little, the, yeah, record. It's the longest it's ever been um Metallica's format uh, therapist, like kind of band therapist Phil Tell says that Jason Newstead quote didn't want to leave the band unquote um he was speaking on the and podcast for all podcast and they discussed about Jason's departure in 2001 and that it may and that the the departure may actually have been motivated less by Jason not being able to put up with being in the band anymore and more having a disdain for how his role in the band was playing out I'll go into the exact quote from Phil here he was the way that they grieved unhealthily And Jason, because he was so grateful to be a part of the band, never felt like he could quite make it. He was hazed to the point where I think it blew because he'd had enough of something. And when we've had enough of something, it's then hard to go to somebody and say, can we sit down and talk about this? Uh, He was then asked if he thought Jason's decision was made specifically to shock the band and and maybe make the band retreat and perhaps think about how they could treat him differently and try and coax him back into the band. Uh, And then Phil Tell said that actually he then quote, Newsom wanted to leave the reality of what existed. I don't think he wanted to leave the band. I think he wanted to leave the reality of what existed. And this was the only way he could start to do something with it. And that triggered a whole bunch of things that contributed to ultimately James months later, going into rehab. Um, In 2003, Lars Ulrich had an interview with Classic Rock um, and he said that said had kind of sacrificed and been like the kind of sacrificial lamb in order for the band to survive. I'll just read this quote as well. Uh, Jason was caught in no man's land. So in a way, he sacrificed himself or had to be sacrificed in order for us to be able to move to the place we're at now. So it's ironic and really sad. For me, it's amazing that it lasted 14 years that Jason stuck it out for so long. Sam, this is like another example of basically almost kind of piggybacking off what we were previously discussing, in that sometimes like your favorite people in the world, like celebrities and band members, sometimes the dicks like. (laughs) Because as we discussed before in this podcast, Metallica like weren't nice to Jason Newstead, like it was really bordering on bullying, if not actual bullying. In some instances, so reading this now, Sam, uh, reading the thoughts of Phil Tell, who was the band's kind of therapist during the same time, and some kind of monster period, this gives this is just the pen on paper of the thought that we've already had for quite some time, right?
1: Yeah, yeah, it's a confirmation of what's been out there for a, for a while in terms of what, what Jason went through. Um, they, they did not get over Cliff Burton for a very long time. And they pretty much hired Jason immediately after Cliff Burton's death. I think obviously Cliff Burton died in September of '86. I believe they're in Japan by November of '86 with Jason Newsted. Um, how yeah. do you even, how do you yeah. even do that? And that's not a, that's not a defence of the way they treated him, but um, it was absolutely one of the reasons that they treated him in that way um, because they were they were horrible to him, and he was the he was the whipping boy of that band and the, the skype goats for several years. And Jason Newstead took it on because as Phil correctly points out, Jason Newstead was a Metallica fan first. Um, there's a, there's a, there's a famous, there's a famous story where he's a, where um Jason is auditioning for Metallica in 86. And they, t- and James Hetfield turns around and says, uh, what song do you want to play? And Jason goes, all of them. I know them all. And he did. Off by heart, he didn't. That's why he didn't have to rehearse. Like he knew every Metallica song off by heart, which in 1986 with limited ultimate guitar.com and tabs and stuff, like him knowing it note for note at that point, incredible. It's, it's, quite, it's, it's extraordinary, but shows the level of dedication that he had just as a Metallica fan. You know, I, I think he just knew them because he loved them. Um, so, um, this is just a, a confirmation of that, and I agree as well that Jason New said had to leave for the band to survive because it showed them the toxicity that they were living in during the early 2000s. Um, and that, that was that was absolutely vital. And that weird period from 2001, James going to rehab, and that whole some kind of monster, them figuring out their issues, is, is the band, that's what's so compelling. It's the world's biggest rock band figuring out how to be nice to each other so that they can
0: survive. And it luckily worked does it surprise you that even after the late 80s and justice for all period and the early 90s black album period of jason being in the band and that being really the height of metallica's power live that that didn't win the band over into truly accepting jason newstead as a member because mate we've discussed this before I haven't seen as many, anywhere near as many Metallica live shows in terms of watching them live videos on YouTube or uh, DVDs as yourself. But the ones that I have seen and been at, I can quite easily point to 89 with Newstead as being their peak. So do you find it surprising that even after that, they wouldn't kind of accept him as, as the Metallica basis and kind of anoint him into the band?
1: Yeah, I, I, I can understand that, but I think, I think from their perspective, um, the answer, the answer to the reasons why, is sort of threefold. So first things first, he directly replaced Cliff and was nowhere near as good. So just that, just as a live, i, I get you a live performance. But their respect and hero worship of Cliff was largely in the fact that Cliff was a was a musical genius, mm. and and how he was able to literally like he like he sat down and taught James music theory to help him write Master of Puppets and harmonise riffs and stuff. Um, he, was, he was so important to the band. And at the time, when, before he, when, he, when he died in sort of 86, it was a three-way leadership machine of which Cliff was absolutely a massive part of. It was, it was Cliff that named the album Kill 'Em All. It was Cliff that wrote a lot of the main parts of the songs in Ride the Lightning. It was Cliff that put together Orion, it's Cliff that demanded a 10-minute bass solo on their debut album, and they were just like, <laughs> Yeah, cool. Like it's astonishing. Like the, the level of like control that he had in that and respect and admiration of that band. And following that act is 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 borderline impossible. And Jason's way of enthusiasm and live performance. Yeah, fantastic. But I think he came in to a band that had already decided that no one is ever going to play as Cliff, and whoever comes in is not as good as Cliff. And that was just a set thing. That was the first impression that stuck. Even when they're trying out Rob Trujillo in 2003, it's Cliff that they're comparing him to, not Jason. And they're talking about, like, I haven't seen someone play with their fingers like that since Cliff. And I this reminds me of what Burton used to do. And it's like Jason Newstead never existed for them. Um, and then on top of that, Jason Newstead was unfortunately like for him he was not a songwriter he didn't contribute a lot to the creative writing process and the bits that he did contribute were either ignored or sort of put to one side or just used as an intro on like a throwaway out a song on the black album the god that failed um and and that that helped it unfortunately you'd think that time and friendship would have eased the tensions you know as well as i do and we've both been in between the two of us, football teams and bands and groups and and groups of lads, specifically lads. Once the hierarchy is set, Chris, it's very difficult to shake. Yeah. Once there is an alpha in a group, especially of men, and there is a assigned um, target, um, then that, that just sticks. It just sticks. And in something like Metallica, where... It is it is the high octane circumstances of travelling and and getting drunk all the time and they're essentially just teenagers essentially and then that stuff becomes ultimately very important and you could see that hierarchy even some kind of monster stuff later on it was it's james and lars and everyone else just waiting and watching to find out what they want to do and that's just how it worked so if those two didn't respect jason then it just sort of followed from that and I just think those first impressions unfortunately stuck. And the way that Jason left um, probably made them treat Rob Trujillo much better. Mm. And they've since grown up. And also they all became dads during this period of time. And that's no, that's no small feat. That makes you a different person. Jason James went into rehab lost stopped, you know, drinking as much, taking less drugs. Like they all, they all made positive decisions in their life, same with Kirk. So I think that helped too. But essentially, first impressions stick. Band hierarchy is important. And he was essentially doing the metal equivalent of, of, of trying to follow an all-time great. You know, that's what he was trying to do. It's an impossible act. Uh, it, and he did it at a time that the band were absolutely not ready to, to accept him into doing that, unfortunately.
0: Not all bad for Jason now. <laughs> got to fucking got to be on *Unjustice for All* and the Black Album. I'm sure Jason's doing absolutely fine.
1: Uh, yeah, well, every time the Black Album sells an album, which apparently is still happening with some rapidity around the world, which is extraordinary, um, Jason gets Jason gets a little something something. Um, so I think I imagine he's doing fine, and he's got fine. lots
0: of something some things over the uh, <laughs> over the thirty years that it's been out.
1: Because I, I, I,
0: I, I imagine so It's fucking millions And rightly so What Absolutely. a fucking record What a band uh, Sam speaking of records We are going to go Into album reviews For the week uh let's start off with Evanescence, uh, The Bitter Truth. Uh, it's the band's 4th full four-length studio record. It's their first in 10 years. 2017 Synthesis was a kind of reworking of the band's former material with synths and stuff, so I'm not going to count that. Uh, the album is out now. It came out Friday the 26th of March via Columbia slash Sony Records. Um, Sam, Evanescence are a band that, me personally, I can't help but associate with the past. Yeah, I think I think the reason for that is because the only album of theirs I've listened to in full was Fallen, uh, which came out in in 2003 and was really (laughs) one of, if not the last great album of that new metal era. Um, 17, million. I've just looked at some stats there, just out of my curiosity. 17 million uh, sales worldwide, top charts, including the UK and Australia. I think it got number three on the Billboard 200. And what, but the main reason for me that I kind of equate it to nostalgia and something, and and evanescence to, to nostalgia, sorry, and evanescence being something of the past is that. During that two thousand three two thousand four period, they kind of had the soundtrack on every single WWE pay per view. Like nearly every, like not every single one, but a large majority was Evanescence songs because were they or were they not the perfect song that would back like professional wrestling introductions and stuff. Um, so for me, I kind of once I grew out and and kind of started growing up, I just completely never went back to Evanescence. And I know that they, I knew they were still existing, but especially during the period where I wasn't listening to rock and alternative music, there were, I absolutely was not going to go out of my way to find out what Evanescence were doing when I was 14, 15 years old on Xbox Live every night. But to be fair to Evanescence, they have never quite hit the height of 17 million worldwide sales again, but they have been consistently successful two billboard 200 number ones two uk number one albums that they've always kind of sustained themselves and kept themselves really at a height where you should be taking that it's to the point of I've gone back and I'm surprised that in the six, seven years that I've been really, really listening to and a big fan of metal and alternative music that I've never really felt a real force to go back and hear what they did post Fallen. Were you a fan of Fallen, Sam? Yeah, Fallen's a great album. It is a great, great album. Really, really good. Um, so I can't speak for the quality of their records in between these release dates, but 10 years of that original material, Sam, is a considerable stretch to stay away. And before I'd even press play, on this album, Sam, I thought with the current state of alternative music being so exciting and so many young bands pushing through and doing really like, in some cases, really forward thinking, unexpected things, I suppose the easiest one for us to like that too is Architects with, for those that wish to exist, really out there, but fucking tremendous. I, feel, I immediately before pressing play thought, man. I don't know whether anyone outside of this band's hardcore fan base it was clamoring for a new Evanescence record. I certainly wasn't.
1: Yeah, I think that is a absolutely fair comment. And it's no disrespect. Um, because I think, number one, they had an absolutely massive part of that mid, mid early to mid 2000s um, new metal swing and, and metal swing in general. Them, alongside sort of bands like Papa Roach, were really, yeah. really influential and disturbed and big during that period of time. And Amy Lee is one, um, incredibly jaw-droppingly talented. Yeah. And two, um, one of my first teenage crushes. As yeah. like a as I yeah. as like a, a growing up as like a rock fan, mm. like like just fell in love with that woman. So I am a massive Amy Lee fan. Um, and she did a absolutely spine-chilling job on that bring me song. Yeah, earlier, earlier last year yeah so I have a lot of love for what Evanescence were and what Amy Lee was and is continuing to be and
2: oh, I still
1: and I still agree with you that I didn't necessarily align myself with the list of people that are clamoring for a new
0: Evanescence album and I
1: want to say because
0: after listening to it I still don't oh mate this ain't a good album is it
1: Bro, it's so dull, mate. This this <laughs> so oh, oh, dull.
0: fucking hell, mate. This album, struggle to listen to. For, for, oh. um,
1: for, Forty-seven minutes was was. It's, it's a comparatively sh- short um to a lot of the albums that we've heard, but th- that was a struggle to get through. Mate, the first six songs of this album, you could swap them round, retitle them, and I wouldn't be able to tell the difference.
0: Mate, like it's it, it's not good. This this is a this is a real effort. To get through this album, uh, the problem with the with the album, Sam, is that it peaks in the first three minutes. Um, the the first the what first that, was track that like faded intro, yeah. <laughs> before anyone starts singing, yeah, <laughs> mate. Th- oh,
1: cool. th- that the part with the before Evanescence. <laughs> <laughs> so, did
0: you watch the football game? I was like, yeah, the bit before the referee blew his whistle it was great. <laughs> no, so that intro. Um, like where, where, with Amy and the synths build up, I think is actually really nice on Artifact the Turn. And then as it gets into Broken Pieces Shine, there's that, that kind of rocket ship 3-2-1 countdown. And then there's this massive drum fill from Will Hunt that's really produced well. And at that specific point, I'm thinking, here we go. Okay, Evanescence are going to fucking pull this out of the bag and I haven't listened to an Evanescence album in 17 years <laughs> and they're going to make me think what the fuck have I been doing for 17 years I should have been listening to Evanescence the whole time and then when the when the halftime chorus hits I was like oh okay that was that was fine I guess and then the problem is Sam is that that's the whole album though the whole album is oh that was that was all right wouldn't it what's next um yeah this yeah. mate the rest of the album borders from kind of decent symphonic rock to, in some cases, really, really quite bizarre segments.
1: There's, um, there's a couple of strange moments. And just to, continue, just to continue on what you were talking about, and especially with the wrestling theme, there's a gif where um, a wrestler whose who's name that you'll have to tell me where he's got white painted face with black lines over the top of it, and he wears right. a leather jacket, right. and he takes off his mask and underneath, he has got oh, exactly Sting. the same... Exactly. It takes about, off yeah. the mask, and underneath, he has got exactly the same face yeah. faces on the mask. Yeah. This Evanescence album is that. It's like, oh, what's <laughs> up next?
2: Oh, it's, it's, it's the
0: same song. It's like that fucking Scooby-Doo meme, where he's like, yeah. I knew it was you all along. It's the same thing. Oh, it's class. Yeah, it is.
1: That's exactly what's going on. And it's like, oh, it's another <laughs> mid-tempo um, Amy Lee-led... Rock song with occasional synths and oh, it's a it's a riff that you for some reason is well produced, but also you have to strain to actually hear the individual notes. What the fuck is that all about?
0: Yeah, yeah.
1: Well, why is the guitar so difficult to make out? Um, uh, the, there's also like just. Oh, I'm gonna talk, talk I think there's a couple of tunes that are okay, like highlights. Um, I thought better without it was all right, and using my voice was okay, but in between was There's so much filler but even use my voice kind of sounds like a Nickelback song sung by Evanescence. Like it's very cheesy. Mm. I actually think like with bring me the, like with the bring the horizon number, when I give, give Emily, someone playing the piano and get her to sing over the top of it. And she is such a gorgeous voice for that specific sound. Yeah. far from from heaven at the, at the start with the the nice little piano arpeggio with her singing over the top of it it was just, was just beautiful. It was really, really, really nice. Um, but that that is that is that is it. Oh, <laughs> the, the 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 ML for Evanescence has has been pretty much the same. The problem is, is we've said this before, and you, you've said this a lot more than me, and I tend to be a bit weirdly a bit more optimistic than you when it comes to this particular type of topic. But we've already heard the best version of this, and it was 15, 17, 18 years ago, good heavens. 18 years ago now. Um, this is just um, weird, off kilt, off cut versions. I saw, um, I saw a review of the Evanescence album before I listened to it. I didn't read it, but the title was Evanescence have been brave and changed their sound. What? Where? What? Where? Like, where? And, and it was, <laughs> where? Where is the change? And it was like, you know, like making it out like they've come out and done like a progressive like ambitious album and it's so like the only ambitious thing that they've did is brought out an album that uh, the fucking same like if that if that class is ambition you know we'll do it'll be really sneaky oh what's that i mean is if we release the same album we did 18 years ago but pretend pretended to do one wouldn't that be just a would that be just great oh we'll do that then
2: and that's
1: bro it, it's I, like I said, I, that's why you can tell that we're gonna give a, rev- a bad review because we always give two compliments to the bands at the start. Mm. Um, but <laughs> yeah that is a theme
0: <laughs> for us actually
1: <laughs> it, It's a way it's a way to soften the blow and I really wanted this to be good. I really did because I was like, all oh, right Amy Lee, she was on the bring me thing. she's got a great voice. I liked to have an essence from back in the day but dude, this is like the most third gear bland beige and now very very dated. Sound that just hasn't hasn't it hasn't aged well. This type of music has not aged well, and I think there's a version of Evanescence that could be really really good if they um, if they switch it up a little bit and try and be a little bit more progressive and, and things like that. But at the same time, this is their ceiling, and me and you criticize it. But if you're an Evanescence fan, you're probably going to lap this up because it sounds like other Evanescence albums in the same way that we talk about Disturbed. Like the disturbed the, the, that one song YouTube parody video and it's um it's just that it's just that you know, you know what you're getting? You're getting like four chords and David Draymond's gonna say something that sounds like an orangutan. And <laughs> that's gonna be the way that it works. It's the same here. She's got a great voice, but there's mate, where's the you just said where's the riffs before? Where's the fucking choruses here? Where's the songs? Man, like this is just <laughs> where are they? can't find them at all.
0: Well, I feel like it's unfair for me to comment on the, when you were talking about that review and they were like, Evanescence have changed the sound. And we were like, what? Where? I haven't heard an Evanescence album. I haven't heard the three Evanescence albums. Sorry, the two Evanescence albums that come in between Fallen and this. So I don't know what those two Evanescence albums sound like.
1: What think that sound like, Chris? <laughs>
0: But for me, for me, this album just sounds like a four slash five out of ten version of Fallen.
1: Yeah, that appears to be what they've done. That's,
0: maybe that's if, what it sounds like to me.
1: Maybe if the middle album's really different and the ambitious part was going back to the beginning. Maybe that, but I I don't think that that's the case.
0: um this take 10 years to write? I hope not. Oh, fucking hell. If it took any more than 15 minutes to write, I'll be annoyed. <laughs> fucking hell (laughs) mate there's there's a wow there's a song right there's a song on this called yeah right and i'm telling you now mate the opening lyric is i'm the widow on the tip tippy toppy of the highest high of low i'm sorry that is an absolute disgrace like five finger death punch level of lyrics that is mate when i heard that i was like this is a wind up this this is and that's like the halfway point of the album. And I thought they've put that in as a wind up here to see how many people end up tweeting them about it and being like, what was that lyric? Um and as soon as I heard as soon as I heard it, I was thinking, right, if you're starting this song with that lyric, you need an amazing chorus to pull this back. But the chorus isn't great, it's incredibly bland bland, and it's one of the most boring songs I've heard this year. It's absolute tin. Um the, there's think, a song. I think actually the, the, the tip, tippy top of low
1: actually adequately describes this, this album. <laughs> I just it couldn't believe. The top, the most elite level of bad. I'm like it's widow. high quality shite.
0: I'm the widow on the tippy, tippy toppy. That, what is that? Oh, no. <laughs> oh, no, no. Her her four-year-old niece has has shouted that at, at like her mom. And she's like, oh, that's good. Isn't that? I'll put that in. Uh, I'm sorry. No, um, there's a song on on this album called The Game Is Over. that actually, I do kind of like, and it's got that classic sore on Amy Lee's voice, you know, which is all yeah, over the chorus. Yeah. And you, one thing you don't get to say with Evanescence often, um, there's a brief moment where actually Amy Lee is not the absolute clear focal point There's a neat little isolated guitar flood from Troy McLawhorn, I think his name is, before the chorus comes back in, and I did actually kind of find that particular part interesting. I thought that song was quite decent, but I felt on this album much more, much more, southern on Fallen, and even on Fallen, it was obvious it's really highlighted in this record how expendable everyone else is, apart from Amy. So, who's who's the more upset
1: band members? Is it Paramore or Evanescence?
0: Well, mate, what a question that is! Because um, if you're the
1: guitarist listening to the Miscs and being played of this, would you even show you? Would you even show your misses? I well,
0: don't think I would. I, well, I think <laughs> it was work today. Don't worry about it. Well, I'd rather be in Paramore if you're asking. I as suppose as that's the best way I could say. I'd rather be in Paramore than Evanescence because Paramore are. Probably are are, are a bigger band than Evanescence. They 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 just are. So I'd rather. Which one do you think is the
1: more enjoyable experience?
0: Um, Paramore, because mate, we can't lie. Regardless of how you feel about modern day current Paramore, chorus is bang man.
2: Yeah, yeah, absolutely.
0: So I'd. I think it would be Paramore that's more enjoyable to be a part of. Although I don't, I, do, I don't think the distinction is clear in, is, is particularly clear. But but yet, yeah, mate, I don't know whether you feel the same. Like every member of this band is completely expendable apart from Amy, and like it's not even covered up. It's really, really abundantly clear. Like I'd imagine, deep deep down, the only reason. Why Evanescence aren't just called Amy Lee is because of legal reasons. Well, it's it's the it's the name has brand identity because of the yeah. Hit single. Yeah.
1: Um. And it's got that you know it's, it's a gothicy sounding thing that fits in with what the what the type of stuff what the type of stuff it, it is. I mean, good Evans. Um. I've got a tour of this as well. Like yeah. I'm. Just, <laughs> But the guitarist has got to do this and then the highlight is gonna be like that pinch harmonic halfway through bring me to life that he that he, that he gets to play. Um and, and that, that's it. But yeah, um this is this is not good at all. Um and um yeah, I think that's I think that that's 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 probably best where
0: we leave it. This <laughs> is not good. Just, to, just as I start closing off here, by the time I got to take cover. I was looking at the track listing and thinking, God, there's another three songs left of this.
1: Yeah. I was, um, I was staring at the second, I was staring at the seconds go by on some of these.
0: Yeah. Yeah. It's pretty rough. Um, At least take cover is followed by far from heaven, which is, you know, anyone with ears would be happy to hear Amy Lee on top of pianos and violins. Yeah. There's a real gorge of beauty on that track. Sound great. But, the the moments that you could pick out on this album that are like well this bit's good are really really few and far between this is one of the most boring albums i've heard in ages sam I really intensely disliked listening to this album really 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 great deal of dislike from me on this <laughs> <laughs> i i don't know which or whether i dislike this more or foo fighters which actually that's a good one they're two completely different bands but we've kind of said the same thing about each album in the sense that it was unbelievably boring and there just didn't seem to be any kind of real kind of hook or song structure present for like 80% of the album Sam which album did you prefer more Minutes to Midnight by Foo Fighters or of Truth by Evanescence
1: oh I don't want to say which one I enjoyed more but I enjoyed Evanescence less <laughs> um, I, I both right, didn't enjoy okay. either of them, but Evanescence was worse.
0: You might even give them the credit of saying the word enjoy in front of them. No,
1: Foo Fighters was watching paint dry, Evanescence was like mowing the grass. <laughs> <G-g-> <laughs> or like having your face punched was, while paint dries. Equally, e- equally tedious, yeah. um, but I had to put effort into to mow the grass. You know, I felt like I had to really like push the wheel of mower across the grass. And that's what's going on here. Like, um, there was a couple of moments on Foo Fighters that made me perk up, and they're was not on this because as well like it's the nature of the Fs ev- and stuff even 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 if it bangs it's still a bit depressing it's a bit maudlin um so even if, if they even if they get it right I'm probably not gonna be like buzzing about I mean, that was a really beautiful song I'm gonna go weep um for the' next three and a half minutes um and that's that's just where we are but yeah um this was the least fun I've had in 2021 <laughs> <I> amazing think. <laughs>
0: Uh, Yeah, We are going to close off the show before my interview with Lucas Woodland comes in, Sam, with a review of the new record from Devil Sold His Soul. It's called Loss and it's out on April 9th via Nuclear Blast. It's the band's fourth album and it's not something of, it is a comeback album for them. It's their first since 2012's Empire of Light. Sam, have you heard Devil Sold His Soul before? This was the first time when i first saw the length of this record i immediately thought this is one for sam is it one for you sam <laughs> yeah it's
1: terrific it, it's terrific um i wouldn't i, I wouldn't say that I'm, I'm, I'm wholly in love with it i think there are there are some flaws but i think i think this is a really really good album and it's a really really good album it's it's heavy it's progressive it is emotive it is impactful there are some really, really terrific and well-written songs on here and I think they find a good balance between the melodic and the brutal um, really, really nicely. There needs to be a spate of, of bands doing this at the moment and getting it right, actually. Um, there are elements of a few bands that we really, we really, really like that we've spoken about here. Um, there's bits of Bits of Svalbard in here and, and, and stuff like that, as, uh, uh, in, in some points, with the, with the sort of mixing into clean guitar and the, the atmospherics. And yeah, I, I think there are some absolutely tremendous songs on this. This is a really, really good album.
0: You kind of, on the opening song, Arjo, and this is the, fir- this is the first record I've listened to from Devil Soul, to Soul I should say as well. Once that chorus hits, you're immediately face, faced with this kind of Kelly and Queen vocal style. Which, if that's not your thing, you've got a hard hour ahead of you. Um, personally, I'm not against it all. I actually, when done well, I think it, I think it can be really great. And I've got a kind of post-hardcore, progressive misery signals vibe from this album, Sam. When I, when I first heard that melodic vocal come in now on the chorus, I thought, this could have Sam dread in the next hour because yeah, obviously yeah. Sleeping With Sirens, I think you, you would probably, there are several things you would rather do before listening to Sleeping With Sirens, possibly one including, of them. Is including to, is including that Lashley Lashley to the Evanescence on. album. <laughs> 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 um, so yeah, when I, when I first heard that kind of styling come in, I yeah. thought, wow, Sam might be out already and there's going to be another 59 minutes of this. What kept you around? Because I'm surprised. Not, but, but by the way, i should just say I oh, think this album's really, really good. But I'm surprised that you that you were in for an hour with this. What kept you around?
1: Um, because I thought that at times it was cheesy, but at times it really worked as well, and it worked enough. It worked enough, um, it worked enough um, for me not to see it as a negative. Um, now I thought there were there were points where it did it did sort of grind a little. Um, but like Beyond Reach was like oh fucking hell alright um, what, what rescued it back is when they kept combining it um, with screams they keep combining it with riffs they keep backing and forth in um, between this and other other sort of sounds and ideas so it doesn't feel like they're wholly dependent on it or trying to shove it down your throat it just feels like one element of what the band is doing and I can accept that Because I actually, and while I think that the band is at its best when the the screamed vocals are the centerpiece, um, I still appreciate the juxtaposition between the two as a musical motif. And I think overall the album does enough good things, lots of good things actually, um, that that make up more than make up for any negatives by by some of the vocal stylings. How about you?
0: Well, I actually think that when you, I'm curious here, when you first saw how long this album was, did you think this is going to be a struggle for Chris?
1: Yeah, I saw like three or four, seven minute songs. I, I do think you've, you're going to have to be in, in to to, to enjoy this. But, but you are um, starting to change your tack on that recently, aren't you? Sort of getting in getting into longer songs, and I think you're starting to appreciate it more than you would have done, say, a year or 18 months ago.
0: You are right, and that is mostly pushed by how much I have discovered I love Mastodon. Now, now, this sounds absolutely nothing like anything Mastodon have done, but what I've realised is that I am in on long songs when they do enough specifically for me and, and for my specific taste. I find it difficult... To, for example, like Dream Theater, images and words, I struggle with that because, obviously, I mean that album came out in like nineteen ninety two. Yeah, I think so. In, that, so. in that range. So impressive as it is, Sam, Impressive as it is, it hasn't got enough modern technicalities and, and kind of modern stylings to, to get to catch me back on. A, a good example of what I mean in practice on this album, Lost by Devil's Soul, is Soul uh, Witness Marks. There's like mm. a really gorgeous, clean passage that opens, yeah. and it repeats itself through for the first three minutes, and then at the three-minute mark, there's a there's a pace and tempo change, and the wrists start becoming more gentle, and the intensity gets flipped, and Alice Wood starts dropping in these really big. These really big kind of um, foreboding fills that lead to the that lead to this climactic ending, and it's really emphatic when everyone kicks back in from the bridge. And that I think that song's something like maybe six, seven minutes, but I was in for the entirety because it was doing things specifically that I like. Whereas Prague, as a whole concept, doesn't because obviously. Prog isn't based around the kind of metalcore or metal stylings. Prog is its kind of own little um, out there entity. Um, I think the vocal playoff on With You lot, like works largely for the most part of this album. I do feel like on Burdened, it's the first signal that maybe the record might stretch itself too thin in yeah. terms of how long it runs, because thematically... I think its tempo shifts are really quite similar to Witness Marks. And I'm thinking to myself at that particular moment, if there's no deviation from this specific structure, I might get bored quickly, despite the song actually being quite good and the final chorus is really yeah. beautifully delivered. The structure of the structure of Burden is actually almost exactly the same as Witness, as Witness Marks. Um but there is some deviation in structure that manages to keep hold of me mate the narcissist is like brutal <laughs> yeah the, the yeah. tone the tone of that song is brutal yeah
1: absolutely it was it reaffirmed the heaviness of the dirt that that, that can be existed because I did go away for it for a couple of songs that you write um that sort of brought you back in that in that in that nature um and that's that's um and that's that's a massive that's a massive thing for the band is that just when you're starting to think they're getting a bit repetitive, they sort of bring you back with something else. I think it's interesting um, now that this style of music was extended to this point um, so so often. It's a strange genre to play seven minutes worth of. Yeah, I thought.
0: yeah, you're right.
1: Um, and I and I, I wondered like I wondered if if now you're 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 you're, you're probably better just for me because you've listened to more bands like this. Do you do you think do you find yourself thinking did this need to be seven minutes when this could have been five? Do you do you find yourself thinking does does hardcore and metalcore need to be instead? Do you prefer it packaged in you know like smaller sections where it's more ferocious rather than this particular style?
0: You make a good point there. If I'm one hundred percent, honest, my personal uh, taste. Yes, like Tatishi. The the song spends ninety seconds mimicking burden, which comes before it. It mimics burden's closing tone, just to then immediately change tone when the drums coming. So I was thinking, well, couldn't you have just dropped that last ninety seconds and just started with the changing tone from the drum fill? And um, although that makes it sound like I don't like that song, I actually do. The desperation. In the harsh vocals, like kind of that post-hardcore, Touche lifestyle it comes across really well. Um, And when the when the vocal styles are switched up, it is impactful. But that specific song, I don't think justifies its length. And I do agree with you that there are some moments on this record where you do wonder, did this have to be uh, seven minutes? Like the last two songs are like fifteen minutes, and. Yeah. I'm not sure it was really necessary, Um, but not forgotten. By that point on the record, the structure of the song has been done to death. So the song just kind of flew by me by that point, because then that structure I was talking about at witness marks gets repeated again and again and again. And then by the time you get to But Not Forgotten, it just seems like a blur because nothing's really changing much.
2: Yeah,
1: I, 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 I agree. I agree with that. This would have been a wonderful EP, but I want to shout out as well, Loss.
0: Great, great. Abs- the title abs- track abs- is great.
1: Absolute, absolute, Absolutely stunning song at the conclusion. Yeah. And again, would I have enjoyed it as much if the previous nine or 10 songs weren't mostly similar? I mean, did, I mean I'm enjoying it more because it's such a... Um, such a such a breath of fresh air, perhaps. Maybe that's emphasising how much I enjoyed it. But I thought it was genuinely, genuinely stunning. I really, really enjoyed that. And I think there are moments of this where this really, really goes well. Yeah. Um, And I I really, I really enjoyed the complexity and the clear talent that the band members have. But I, I agree with you as well. It needs a bit of variation. And if you're doing four, five, six songs over five, six minutes in length, then they can't all be identical in song structure. Otherwise that novelty does wear off incredibly quickly. But I I like this band. I I like this band. And I think if you saw them live and they combined the three or four better songs on this album with three or four similar ones from their previous, um, previous repertoire, then it would be an incredibly engaging live performance. I, I think that would be really, really good. Um, you mentioned that they've done albums previously. I was under the impression when I heard this band that they
0: were young. Are they young? No, uh, they That's
1: in, that's interesting. Their last
0: album was in twenty twelve.
1: Wow, last album was in twenty twelve. So I haven't done anything for nine years.
0: Yeah. Wow.
1: Um, so that's a surprise me actually because they don't sound like a band of experience. You know? Do you know what I mean? Yeah. But it's not. It's not. It's not. It's not a, it's not a criticism. They don't. They don't sound like a veteran band because maybe because of the vocal style and the way that the songs are written, I. It's
0: a very contemporary sort of sound. Like, this is interesting. Well, it's important to point out that the melodic vocalist, whose name I believe, let me just get to the point on my notes where I wrote that. I believe the the melodic vocalist's name is Ed Gibbs. He is the newest member, and he came in in twenty seventeen. So. Except like this is a new. It used to just be Paul Green, to my knowledge, who is, again, I believe the uh screen vocalist. So it is something of a, of, a, of a real change up for them. Uh, shout out for Rick Chapel, by the way, who does guitar and piano on this record, and the piano segments are all amazing, especially on "Loss." They're amazing.
1: I I I, I, I agree. I agree. There's a lot of. um there's a lot of there's a lot of great talent here and i think this is a really really enjoyable and intense listening experience at times um i think i think if they're gonna ever make the success then there needs to be a few things that need to be tweaked and refined and i think the there can't be an over reliance on that that vocal styling because i think i think that's off putting personally um but overall this is a, this is a good album by a
0: talented band i think that objectively i cannot deny this is a good album like actually objectively it's probably a really good album in terms of what is what is created here and the fact that they have managed to stretch out metalcore slash uh, hardcore songs into like seven minute like opuses that don't alienate me as someone who isn't massively into that kind of time length i think if this album is 38 minutes me and you be saying this is great this is really you need to listen to this album it's really good and i'll be t- and i'll be texting my friends who i think might be into it but like, oh there's this uh, album called lost by devil side so you need to listen to it um i'm not that in but objectively yeah, me, yeah. i can't deny this album's quality it is a really good album
1: i completely agree i completely agree it's a very very good album
0: That is where we're going to leave off episode 62 of The Noise Podcast before my interview with Lucas Woodland of Holding Absence comes in. Uh, Remember uh, to give us a subscription on YouTube or Apple Podcasts or like and follow the video wherever you are listening to us. We're actually going to be back next week. Next week, me and Sam are going to review the new record from While She Sleeps, Sleep Society. I am just frothing at the mouth for that. I haven't listened to the album yet. That's I'm going to start doing that tomorrow. I'm incredibly, incredibly excited. Sam, give me your excitement levels out of ten for that album.
1: Um, based on the little snippets that I've seen on Twitter about the um, the general feeling about this album, um, I am and the the love I have for While She Sleeps in general, I am in, I am incredibly excited about the prospect of being able to review this with you once again.
0: I am unbelievably hyped. My interview with Lucas Woodland comes in right now. We are going to be back next week, a review of of While She Sleeps, Sleep Society. Thanks for sticking around. We love you. We'll see you next week. Bye. So I'm now joined by Lucas Woodland, vocalist of Holding Absence, a band that we literally never shut up about. Mate, thank you so (laughs) much for your time. Dude, thank you so much for having me. I very much appreciate it. Mate, I know you're busy, so I'm going to get rolling straight away. Um, I know he's, he's not in. The, he's not in the band now. But we had we had James on on like episode eight. Um, so that was like fifty five episodes ago, I think. Uh, and wow! It was just congrats, when, bro. Yeah, cheers, man. It was it was <laughs> just when your self titled record um had just come out, and I was talking to you. Like, How's it going? How you feeling? And stuff, and he was like saying how excited it all was, and everyone was so buzzing about the record just being out that you were all like, "Oh, mom, we've just taken over Bon Jovi on the rock chart." This, can you see? Look at this. Yeah. Right. Um, now, obviously, mate, me, things have moved forward so quickly and there's a much bigger air of professionalism around the camp now that I can see just from uh, visualisation and from songwriting. Do you, Is the same energy in the camp of this is a dream with my best mate or is it more professional now? Does it feel like, quote
2: unquote, work? Dude, you nailed it. The, it is a dream and I'm just hanging out with my best friends. You know, I'm just... I. My favourite thing on earth to do is just sing... And my favourite people on earth, I'm i I'm in a band with, you know what I mean? It's yeah. just like a really, really blessed situation. And to be honest, I look back at the debut when that came out and compare it to now. I'm like, dude, that was so stressful. There was so much pressure, yeah. you know. And the songs and the pressure, everything is just so much better now as well. So it's, it's elevated from back then, you know.
0: I'm not going to talk about back then for too long yeah. because <laughs> things are so yeah. exciting now. But... <laughs> One of the things that I saw that, like, immediately wound me up was, like, the the lazy journalism that was surrounding you, and I think Creeper suffered from this as well. You were kind of given the email slash MCR tagline, which I always personally felt was a cop-out. Did reading that ever bother you, that people would would probably maybe listen to one song and then just throw you into whichever category they thought stuck?
2: Yeah, I mean, you know, you live in a a world full of people with opinions, you know, and music is it's such a hard industry to be in because it is just an opinion driven world. You know, Mm. all it takes is one guy to think one thing and, and have a website and then it's game over really. So, um, so I try not to take it too on, on the the nose, you know, I try, I try and like not to overthink stuff like that too much, but like you said, I, you know, we're a multifaceted band, you know, and we do a lot, there's a lot of bands that we sound like as a lot of genres that we kind of straddle, um, and My camera my favorite band, and emo is my favorite genre. And it's probably easy to say that we're an emo band, but so I'll will t- take it. Don't get me wrong, but yeah, I just I I love it when people scratch that a little bit deeper. I think you know.
0: And this is where like I've been oh, man just dying to speak it to you since I heard the record, <laughs> man. Um, oh, oh, dude, I, I was gonna
2: say? Have you listened to it? Yeah,
0: yeah. Oh, mate, yeah, like literally nonstop since since it dropped in my iPhone. <laughs> um Legend. I'm a bit of a a nerd for opening and closing lyrics on records. I I find that the the semblance that can bring with them is really interesting. Um, And considering the subject matter of The Greatest mistake of My Life, how far into the writing process did you decide that you would open the album lyrically with the lyric I'm Alive, especially on a track called Celebration Song, when actually the record is mostly about, you know, you looking back retrospectively uh, mistakes and pitfalls in your life. So I find kind of found that as like a juxtaposition of opening this really like morose retrospective record with I'm Alive. Uh, how far into the process
2: did you make that decision? That was actually one of the first kind of things we did. But I think for me, that lyric is so important because it shows that, yeah, like f- bad things happen. Yeah, we feel negative feelings, but there is always hope to be found. You know, and Morning Song and Celebration Song link up at the beginning of the book ends of, of the record, yeah. you know. Um, but the le- there's a lesson to be learned that, you know, life is is special and, and you should be happy to be alive for all of your flaws and all of your mistakes. And I think that's kind of what I want this album to really portray is like embrace everything you've ever done wrong and live regardless of it, you know.
0: That's so clever, dude. You know, I... All I could, all I thought about so far was the juxtaposition of you opening a record that is generally quite a um, negative, quite, quite a <laughs> yeah. negative, yeah. quite a negative story with "I'm Alive," and I didn't even think about it, the fact of you're celebrating the fact that you've been through that negativity and you are negativity and you are still alive, and that's the whole point that's of the record.
2: It man, exactly because celebration song is about n- not wanting to do- like finally after all these years of wishing that you could just disappear Mm -hmm. realizing how special it is to be alive and and looking back at all this collection of sadness that you may have had as a person and being like nah like screw this man like i want to live i want to celebrate life you know um and i think it kind of makes the message even more more profound really yeah
0: Yeah. oh absolutely um are we saying that celebration song was the first song you wrote for the record
2: no, Afterlife and Drugs and Love were, right. and they they were written the same week that we uh, wrote um, Gravity as well. So uh, little tid a little tidbit,
0: mate. Oh yep. uh, yeah, I put a joke on Twitter last year. I was like, "But I think the best album of the year is the two songs that hold houses
2: absence <laughs> <And> release, <laughs> uh,
0: Gravity <laughs> and Birdcage." Cage. yeah. There's a part of me that like was gutted that they weren't on the record, but they're also know. like the biggest flex of all time. That these two absolutely sick songs you've written you haven't even put on the album. I kinda of love it, yeah. Do
2: you know? I think I think as well, I get, you know, I don't want to speak for your opinion here, but I think the album benefits from not having them on it anyway. Mm. I think, you know, um, maybe if we'd save, you know, what maybe if we'd save them and not release them, maybe whatever, who cares? But I, I just feel like, you know, people wanting Gravity and Birdcage Cage on the record. I'm kinda like, dude, like listen to the album, you know? You know what I mean? Those
0: songs are in the past now, you know? Yeah, and and also, you do make a good point. They don't actually fit thematically into what most of the record is trying to portray. So I do understand uh, why you didn't include that. Um, One of the things that you have included that... And I've seen you talk about this in a few other interviews, so I do apologise for making you probably say sure. the same answer you've said before. <laughs> but the imagery surrounding the record is genuinely like a presentation of something, from the font that's I used on the album artwork to the Sharp Time Records Presents uh, typing above the album artwork, uh, album name, sorry, the Afterlife music video, is actually framed to look like it's filmed in a theatre-slash-play setting. Um, given the debut record's imagery that's particularly bleak and black and white, did, did you purposefully want to flip the script in terms of what Holding
2: Absence visually represents? A million percent, yeah. You've hit the nail on the head there. Um, and I think, I think for me, though, you know, what, do those image, what, what does that imagery from album one do? And mm-hmm. what does the imagery from album two do? I think they do very similar things. I think they're very timeless, very grand, you know? And, mm-hmm. and I think for us, it was like, we didn't really want to change much about holding absence for album two. We just wanted to do it better. Yeah. And, I, and I think, you know, we we managed to capture the same magic through a completely different means, you know?
0: I saw in your Koran cover story, by the way, dude, how awesome is that, like holding absence of Karang, that is so <laughs> sick. Right, no, no, it's so no. cruel that they're not actually in full publication circulation. Because you so deserve that shit. But anyway, obviously that's out of your you. control and out of Koran's control. Um, but I actually saw something really interesting in that piece, which is a really, really great piece. Um, you had said, I'm paraphrasing here, but basically what you were saying was you saw holding absence as something that everyone can relate to. Yeah. And With that as your desire, how hard is it to navigate the waters of writing and trying to avoid the danger of writing something for everyone that eventually
2: pleases no one, if you understand what I'm getting at? Yeah, for sure. And, you know, the thing that I keep telling myself and I, you know, and the boys as well, you know, we talk about these things at length is like, as long as it feels real to us, I think, you know, like, for example, dude, like you can watch the X Factor and someone pulls themselves into a song that yeah. they didn't write. It's like, it's still believable. You know, and sometimes it doesn't really matter what you're doing, you've just, as long as it's real, that is the, the thing that you should be trying to achieve. And, and you know, maybe you'll sound a million miles away in 10 years time, but man, as long as I still care, and as long as it's still obvious that I care, mm. Who cares? <laughs> like yeah. the music, music is a byproduct of for me, the music is very much a byproduct of the message and the just the 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 fucking the passion of it all, you know?
0: Well, because of the narrative of the album and the journey it kind of takes the audience on. I found myself questioning every time I've listened to it, and I've tried to actually figure it out for myself as a listener, and I genuinely can't. Are you exercising demons on this album or are you recounting former difficulties? Or is it as simple as saying it's one or the other? Is it a bit of both?
2: what a special question. Um, I think it's a hearty mixture of both, man. Yeah, like, because, hmm, I... You know, yeah, like, dude, getting things off your chest is... Like, for example, No More Roses. That song is about Mm. me being basically pissed off that I no God has ever given me a reason to believe in it. You know what I mean? Yeah, and like, yeah. I, I wish I was a, a, a religious guy who could go to bed every night and know that my loved ones are going to be safe because I prayed for them or whatever, you know? Yeah, but like, yeah. you know, and that song is is me really spilling my guts, you know? Um, but then at the same time, yeah, like you said, I, I do do a lot of recounting and um, introspective, calculation about the things i've felt and the the things i've learned through them you know um so yeah well
0: when you were forming your kind of lyrical ideas for the record was it what what was your immediate thought that you were trying to tell like if, if someone came to you and said hey by the way you're only gonna be able to get one message across in this record what would you have immediately gone for
2: Ooh, um,
0: I'm getting you here, aren't I? I do, do apologise. Yeah. <laughs>
2: um, you know, it's funny actually because the album does feel different to me now that I've listened to it so many times. I've thought about it. I, I've kind of always viewed myself writing the song as a different person than who I am now, anyway. You know. Mm. Um. So, but I think to me, this album is very much about learning from death and learning from sadness and taking those lessons and and exercising them in life knowing that you could die at any given moment millions and billions of people have but you're lucky to be alive so live it you know really really I think that's for me that's one of the most important things to take from this record is Celebration Song and Morning Song are two tracks that look at death as something to learn from you know
0: when you are coming up with a thematical idea of a song or the record in general, do you try and take, like, the, the lyrical standpoint of the, this is my story to tell? Or do you bounce your ideas around the band and have other lyrical ideas thrown in there? Or do you, do you very much feel like... Are you very much given the mantle of, Lucas, the lyrics is your is your part, you take, you do whatever you want to do with them?
2: Yeah, it's, it's not like you know that's the rules you know like it's not like mm. but ultimately it's, it's, i'm just so involved in the lyrical side of things and i think the boys trust me you know and i, I think that's the main thing but i always say that these songs are very really like autobiographical they, they're more like a compilation of things that i've felt telling a story you know so um you look at die alone in your lover's arms that song is about To people who are on their deathbed and realize that they aren't happy with each other and they maybe shouldn't have spent their lives together because they weren't happy. You know, I've never felt that, you know, but I understand those emotions, if that makes sense. Do
0: you know what? I'm really glad you mentioned that. That was one of the songs I was going to bring up to you because of that. And I thought, you know what? Uh, Lucas is really like ahead of his time in terms of what he's writing about, but he surely hasn't experienced this. (laughs) Um, (laughs) So was it, is that a challenge for you? Like, how are you writing? Are you like going around and are you like researching like people who've experienced that kind of thing? Are you just guessing what that emotion would feel
2: like? How are you coming up with the idea for that song? It's, uh, I think for me, I, I view, you know, people, uh, people write books, you know, about things they've never lived through, you know? Mm. And, and like, I, I really do just view them as kind of short stories about situations that I could maybe relate to, I suppose and how i can kind of portray that message i guess
0: i mean how many times you've said this uh, the name of the record came from a song your great uncle discovered uh, and, and your grandmother told you about um, yeah but well <laughs> that was
2: you were, that, you nailed that by the way yeah Matt, the i'm not gonna make you go for that story again <laughs> oh, you
0: must have said it a million times in these interviews yeah. by now um but in terms of like and how you then thought oh that's a, that'd be a great name for an album did you feel like it was decided in that moment? This is what the album's going to be about, as well. Did you find out title and ideas and narrative structure in the same ten seconds?
2: I think you know when it comes to the the narrative and, and like you said, the lyrics and stuff. In all honesty, like it's kind of like if I if if I give you a, one of those coloring books, right? You know, that the, the the drawing is there, but like what color do you view that person's jacket to be, you know, or what, yeah, color? Yeah. you know, yeah, I mean, you could, t- you could paint the grass blue, you know what I mean? Mm. There's no rules. And for me, it's very much a case of like we named the record and it was kind of about, yeah, the, the record felt like the pencil drawing. And then for us, it was about coloring it in and, and trying to do right by the drawing. If that makes sense. I know that's a really over the top metaphor. No, no it
0: doesn't <laughs> at all. Um- I kind of mentioned this to you before we started recording. Um, For me, Sony's been a fan for quite a while now. It's really gratifying to see the band's like quite clear progression. You know, and I said to you before we started recording, I felt, I thought, right, they're never going to write a better song than Saint Cecilia. This is wicked. (laughs) And then you did Like a shadow, And I was like, Okay, yes, they will write <laughs> a better song, but they, they'll peak here. And then Birdcage drops, and I'm like, how are they doing this? And then on The Greatest Snake I'm Life, you've got "Curse Me With Your Kiss and Drugs dude, and Love. Dude, yeah. this two, like, <laughs> opus, beautiful dude. tracks, man, so sick.
2: Um, oh, wow, thank you, man. I, I, dude, sorry for the record. I don't know, any, you know, nobody's really listened to this album, so it's... Those two songs are like two of my favorites. That's really cool to hear you. Say oh, that. mate, I get it. They're so so sick. Oh
0: man, Thank um, you. <laughs> for me, like it literally, you can literally see the band get getting better every time they're in the studio. Do you feel that progression yourself? Do you feel like every time you go in there, it's like we've got better, we've gone a step up here, and we haven't even really noticed it. We just have happened to be better.
2: I think it's like a self-fulfilling prophecy because um, confidence is key in everything you do in life, you know, whether it's dancing or painting or whatever, or, conf- you know, like talking to people, if you don't, if you don't believe in yourself, you're never going to do it. And I think every time we release something, I listen back and I feel prouder than the last time. And the reception is bigger than the last time. And, and I feel like the person who walks into the studio is just a more complete, happier and like you said, there's gratification to it. So I feel like the music's better because it's always getting better, you know? It's, yeah. it's, like, it's kind of like snowballing at this point, I guess. Um, yeah. You've wrote this really empathetic, deep record
0: at a time where that emotion seems to still be missing from just large swathes of the population. Does it bother you that at a time where, more than ever with this shit going on, we need unity and people just to be nice, and we still can't find it. Even now, when there's so much injustice in the world, we still can't find the ability to show empathy to one another. And The Greatest mistake of My Life is basically all about finding empathy for yourself.
2: You, exactly, does, bro. Does yeah, it yeah, wind yeah.
0: you up as much as it winds me up that we're, <laughs> we can't fucking figure out how to get the world to show empathy to the person next to them?
2: Uh, honestly, bro, you know there's for every I don't know for everybody who is stood on the left side of something there'll always be somebody who would rather stand on the right because everybody's on the left you know like Mm. life is about different opinions and and I think some people get a kick out of being different for better or worse really um you know and and I just think I don't know you know it's, it's the it's I don't have to be a musician to just say that like you know we all deserve to be happy and and we all deserve the right to just be treated like humans. And it doesn't matter whether we're boys or girls, doesn't matter what color our skin is or where we come from on earth, you know? And, and I think I don't sing about politics. I've always said holding absence is for the heart politics is for the head. Right. But, you know, I really hope that this music can bring peace to humanity in some respect or, you know, regardless of who you are in what, what type of human you are. You know, it's like, I just, I just, I don't know. I just kind of want people to just kind of, I don't know, just be more at peace with their feelings and and appreciate the way that they feel. And and if you are sad, then hopefully these songs are a shoulder to cry on. And and if you do need something to help you out, like hopefully these songs inspire you to do more with your life, you know, or to show empathy to another person, you know. Um, And it's a shame because I'd, I'd love to write an album telling racists to go fuck themselves, you know? Yeah. But like, it, you know, I guess there's only so much I can do in in where I am as, as a musician, I suppose. So, yeah. Because of
0: the heart, soul, personal touch that's on The Greatest Sake of My Life, and also uh, that was on your debut as well. I mean, uh, yeah, I, I feel like we've kind of, kind of fleeted past the, that. That wasn't like a record yeah. about nothing. That was quite mm, clearly a record. That was a lot. <laughs> that was a quite yeah. clear record that you had fested on yourself when you were writing that. Um So you've had these two records now that quite clearly are personal and mean something. Can I just be devil's advocate? And what if in two years time, when it comes to the next cycle that you feel the band are ready for, what if you haven't got a new story to tell? Uh, uh, would you... Would you write a, a record, or think of writing a record on a completely different concept, or do you feel like there has to be something that you need to, going back to an earlier question, exercise for you to want to write a Hold an Absence record?
2: Brilliant question, because like I've never thought of, it. I've never thought of that question before. <laughs> you know, and and like, do you know what? It's funny. I will say that when I started holding an Absence, you know, like I was a kind of quite sad, lonely person. Um, you know, and I had friends and, you know, it's not, but like, you know, I hadn't really like truly found myself and I hadn't found peace with myself. And, and in the meantime, you know, I've fallen in love with somebody and I'm, I'm just, I'm very, very happy with who I am and, mm. and the people I surround myself with. And I have gone through so much in the last four or five years. I don't think anything could change me anymore. Unless it was negative, hell, motherfucking yeah. COVID. Like, dude, you know, <laughs> yeah. I should, I should be the most depressed I've ever been in my life. But I'm just, I'm just blessed to have this opportunity to write music. And I, and I promise, like, I'll always give my all to it. And the the day that I don't is the day that I stop making music. You know, but I don't view that being a time. I don't, I don't view that ever, that day ever coming. To be honest, so yeah
0: mate uh, I know that you are absurdly busy so we've got to the part now uh, just as I'm, I'm I know you've probably got another journalist writing for you so I'm gonna get this bit done as quickly as we can although that does depend on you mate because what we're doing here <laughs> is, like, what we're doing here is something that we call the quick fire round uh, I'm gonna ask you 20 questions. And the Ooh. whole point is, see how quickly you can answer Quick. them. Okay, okay. Um, oh, God. So we have got like a league table running at the moment. Um, I strangely got my mom to try doing this. Uh, and she <laughs> answered it insanely quickly, like one and a half minutes. Um, so And she's sitting top at the minute. So we'll see how you get on. Uh, when you're ready, mate, I'm going to start timing. Yeah? I'm going to start firing these questions at you. I'm ready when you are. Let's go. Let's, let's go, mate. Uh, Batman or Superman?
2: Uh, Batman.
0: Marvel or DC?
2: Marvel all day long.
0: Best time of the day. Uh, one o'clock in the afternoon. Hardest holding absent song to
2: write? Uh, oh my God! I, just, I just genuinely don't know. I'd probably say Die Alone in Your Lover's Arms. Uh, soap, operas, good or bad? Uh, good.
0: You can only save one. Bruce Willis or Keanu Reeves? Keanu Reeves, every day of the week. Uh, your favourite TV show of all time? Uh, Avatar. Favourite album of all time? Uh, favourite album of all time is Welcome to the Black Parade by Michael. Best gig you've ever been to? Pixies in Cardiff. Uh, tea or coffee? Tea, every day. Jeans or shorts? Uh, jeans. Best gig you've ever played? Best gig I've ever played. Oh
2: my God, I don't know.
0: Uh, <laughs> ooh, yeah, Scarlet, let's go with Scarlet. Uh, your favourite Holden Absence song? Uh,
2: my favourite Holden Absence song right now is Morning Song.
0: When it comes to Green Day, American Idiot or Dookie? American Idiot. I love it. Uh, band member that's most fun to be around in the studio?
2: Uh, Ash Green because he's a psychopath.
0: Your favorite band
2: of all time? My favorite band of all time is, uh, I think it's Radiohead. Probably, yeah.
0: Maya will Ketchup? up. Catch up every day of the year. <laughs> yeah. You can only save one. Jennifer Aniston or Anne Hathaway?
2: Oh, I go with Jenny. Yeah, let's
0: go. <laughs> Dude, friends, you got it. Uh, your favorite non-musical hobby?
2: Um, at the moment it's Dungeons and Dragons.
0: The best piece of advice you could ever give someone?
2: Uh, life is for living. That's the most important advice I was ever given.
0: Dude, I'm going to put you in at number one, you know. Yeah, let's go! I, be because because I purposefully made it a bit easier for my mom because believe it or not she's I not know. a musician. What, so what, I, was, what was
2: her favorite
0: show she's ever played? Oh uh, <laughs> yes, yeah, I mean so I purposefully made it easier for my mom. I basically, made it twenty questions about Elton John because she loves him. Um, <laughs> but dude, I'm gonna put you in number one. Uh, and as I close off, uh, mate. It's been a long, long time that I've wanted to have a chat with you because uh, I've been such a big fan. Uh, the greatest mistake of my life is ridiculously, ridiculously good. Um, thank you, man. I, I'm really happy for you, and you should absolutely be really, really proud of that record. Uh, mate, I can't thank you enough for your time, man. It's been so, so sick. I hope uh, that we get a chance to do this again ASAP.
2: Dude, a million, million, billion percent. I'm so sorry that we had to rush this at all. Sorry.
0: Mate, that's fine. I could yeah. go for an hour with you. So maybe <laughs> uh, maybe at some point we'll get another hour in further down the line. Yeah, Congrats on the greatest good. mistake of my life, man. It's wicked. Thank you for your time.
2: Oh, bro, my heart. Dude, <laughs> I owe you a drink. You're a fucking legend. Where, where are you from? Where, where uh, are you?
0: I'm from Wolverhampton. Um, but I, you know Jack, uh, Jack Holloway, uh, the owner mm. of Noise. He's in fuel yeah, all the time, yeah, um, yeah, and yeah. that was actually the first time I'd heard of you. Was him telling me about you? Yeah, well, obviously school, I used to yeah. work
2: with with old Jackie, but yeah, um, yeah.
0: Where, so where do you live? So you live like Wolverhampton, near Birmingham? Yeah, near Birmingham. yeah. So when the time man. comes, mate, that you're around Birmingham, holding absence, hopefully ASAP. Fucking hell. <laughs> Fuck uh, yeah, man.
2: Yeah, dude. <laughs> I'll so, be there. Like, yeah, let me know. We'll get you some guest list or something. You know, it's the least we can do. So.
0: so cool, dude. Uh Thank you for your time, man. And the best of luck and congratulations. You're a legend. Thank you. Have Take a lovely day. All the
2: best. Nice so indeed. Man. All the best. Bye-bye.